Today I'll be reading Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the ruler, against the authorities, against the power of the dark, of his dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Awesome. <clears throat> Kids, um, go ahead. You guys can be dismissed. We do a, an awesome little children's church for uh, ages uh, three-year-old to four-year-olds, four-year-old to third grade. I was pretty sure it was three-year-olds to fourth grade, third grade, but you know what? I don't know. I don't know anything. I thought it was three to three. But that's why Casey, that's why Casey told me. And I found out I was wrong and that she was right. And that's just all that needs to be known. <clears throat> we, uh, we're working through this uh, series here, this trustworthy sayings, and, and just to kind of catch you up with where we've been, first, just to kind of remind you, this is a series that is of Paul, uh, for the first three, is Paul writing, uh, three, four, the first few uh, are Paul writing to Timothy, and then, uh, and then at the end is Paul writing to another preacher, Titus, another one of his proteges that he has, um, that he was writing to. And so Timothy, if you remember from the beginning, Timothy is uh, the, a young minister that is over the church of Ephesus, which is the church that Paul wrote the book of Ephesians to. So kind of just to kind of give you that quick catch up. So do you ever have a friend in college that uh, was a real, uh, a real jerk that uh, never had to study for anything? And not in that way, like he just didn't study or she didn't study, and she also got, or he also got terrible grades. Like, that's not what I mean. Like, I mean, did you ever have that friend in college that never studied and always got A's on everything that they did? I hated it. I had this really good friend of mine in college, and the reason he was a really good friend of mine is because he, too, never studied. Now, I got different results from my not studying um, than he got. And I had to realize that I needed to live a different life than him. But we are really good friends because we wasted a lot of time uh, not doing anything, like watching movies and playing video games and, and just um, playing ping pong and Monopoly and all this kind of different stuff. But he would never study, and yet somehow he was always getting A's on tests, and somehow he still turned in homework. I don't know if he just never slept, and we just thought he just never did any. I don't know. I don't know how it worked, but he was that kind of person. I, on the other hand, was the kind of person that if I didn't put in, you know, six hours for a two-hour class um, every single day, then I was behind somehow. I don't know how it happened, but, uh, but I had to work really, really hard to be able to excel, whereas he didn't have to. So in school, there's just some that are like that, some that are gifted to be able to uh, excel and to, to kind of have this intellectual ability to read or hear something that one time and then never have to uh, read it again. They have that like photographic memory where once they read it one time, they look at a schematic one time, they, look, they watch a YouTube video one time, and they never, have to, they never have to think about it again. They never have to go back to anything that they read. Uh, as, as I look around, we're staring at Kyle, so um, Kyle must have that kind of mind. So um, 
that, that's a, a brilliant thing to have. Paul here is writing to somebody that didn't have those abilities. He didn't have the ability just to kind of read it once and, and kind of be done. And so that's really important for us to understand that, that Paul sees Timothy as somebody that's different. Paul sees Timothy as somebody that needs this help, that needs this, this guidance and this correction and this, this constant kind of reminder. Well, I had this professor in Bible college who, who absolute, was absolutely the best teacher I've ever had. He had this ability to teach really, really boring stuff, but in a way that allowed me to remember and then years later still understand. And that, that's a skill that a lot of people don't have, and a lot of Bible professors didn't have. Uh, they, they were happy to teach you what they knew, but they didn't really care. Uh, well, they wouldn't say it like that, but it felt like they didn't really care if you remembered it or not. And there's sometimes where you take a test and you, uh, you take that test and you are taking the test for the sole purpose of getting a good grade. And, uh, and you're taking that information in and you're solely doing it just for the good grade. And that's the outcome, not to like, actually remember it and retain it. Well, this professor, he had some skill that just allowed me to be able to remember it years later still. And one day I actually asked him what, uh, like what he did or how he felt he did something different or if he even noticed that he was teaching like this. And he said he did. He, he knew that he had something different. He had something special. And the, the way that he answered it was, I make connections. And what he meant was that he took the information, whether it was scripture or some kind of biblical principle um, or you know, philosophy or whatever it was that we were talking on that day, and he connected it to real-life situations. He made it real. He made it personal. And once that information was processed and then really and truly applied, the students could see how it impacted their life. And not just in that moment to get that good grade on the test, but in that long-term kind of play out of things. The Apostle Paul is about to show Timothy how important it is not just to understand biblical truths and not just to know them so that way when Paul asks, hey, do you remember when I say this, said this? And Timothy goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. This is what you, this is what you said. And then like, regurgitates the words that Paul said. But Paul is actually wanting Timothy to, to grasp a hold of these biblical truths and apply them and live them out. And more importantly, share them out. Because that's what he's calling him to do. Because the idea is it's not just enough to just simply read the Bible. Yes, don't get me wrong. Like, don't go home now and be like, well, Jacob said I don't have to read the Bible. Like, that's not what I said. It's not enough just to simply read the Bible. If we're not applying the biblical truths and living out the biblical truths that are in the Bible, then there's no point in the reading. People that don't believe in Jesus as their Savior have also read the Bible. You know, Scripture actually specifically says that, that the demons of this world know Scripture. So it's not just enough for us just to read Scripture. It's also important that we put action to it. So let's look at today's scripture. It's going to be 1 Timothy. So if you want to open up your Bibles or open up your phones to 1 Timothy, it'll be chapter 4, and it's verses 6 through 10. And it's also, I forgot, yeah. I mean, I've made these slides, so it's also on the screens. So if you want to just read along. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, have nothing to do with irrelevant, silly myths. 
Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So right off the bat, Paul kind of goes into this long list of uh, things and, and ways for Timothy to live out. But he says at the end of kind of this big, long thing, it's not the standard where he would say this is a trustworthy saying and then give you the trustworthy saying. He's, he's pointing back to what he had already said. The trustworthy saying was what I just talked about. Good servants are trained by truth. The truth that we take in from the word of God must begin to shape us or conform us to be like Jesus. So, like I said at the beginning, the uh, minister Timothy here was the minister to the church of Ephesus. And so the church of Ephesus was a really good place for us to kind of look back to, to actually see what Paul is talking about. Sometimes we don't get the full picture of what Paul was, was referring to here because he already wrote a book to talk about this church. And so the book of Ephesians becomes really, really important to understand what Paul is talking about in this training for the truth. For scripture reading, we had read, read the first part of Ephesians chapter six. Yeah, that was a, thank you, man. Uh, That talks about the armor of God. And the armor of God is one of those things sometimes as adults that we kind of like tune out because we've all heard it so many times whether that be in sermons or that be in children's ministry or maybe you taught it within children's ministry or you taught it within like a kid's program, like a VBS or um, something along those lines. Kind of it's so done that we somewhat tune it out. It kind of becomes that like Christmas story kind of feeling where we just don't listen anymore. The thing is though, is the thing about the armor of God, it was such a visual thing. Paul was using something that was just so practical for them and their understanding and what they uh, were living in. And so for us to, you know, now take the armor of God, we can actually like put on the armor of God and actually feel like we have that, uh, that same understanding. So flip to Ephesians chapter six, and we're going to read the rest of, uh, of that section. So like I said, read already got 10 through 12 for us. We're going to start at verse 13. So Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 and on. Therefore, take the whole armor of God. So as we're kind of sitting here listening to this, maybe you're reading it, start envisioning, you know, the things that you're putting on and that, uh, that you're actually equipping your life with. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To the end, keep alert 
with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. The armor of God, like I said, is this amazing illustration that Paul uses of the things around him to illustrate the things of God to those around him. And that's something that we need to do in our life. You know, this, this illustration is not something that necessarily we can just take into the world and be like, hey, you know that, um, that breastplate you wear? That's a, lot like, that's a lot like righteousness. Because like, people are going to be like, what are you talking about, man? I don't wear a breastplate. Why are you using these weird words? Why are you talking to me like this? Because it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily translate to us. But you need to talk to people in the world about the things around us to talk about God because that's the way you connect to people. That's the way you make people understand godly things. So here's the problem with the armor of God and, and making it like that's what our illustration should be. We have a funny little video that I wanted to show you guys of what it would be like in our life if we actually uh, wore the armor of God all the time. So go ahead, let's watch this little video here. <coughs> Everybody's on a different path, but, but some people are just a little you know, further along. I get up every morning and I put on the full armor of God, just like the Apostle Paul tells us to do in Ephesians 6. Of course, it's made a few things more difficult. I've had to reevaluate some things, like how I get in my car, how I drink my morning coffee, but, but I've come up with solutions for most of these things. It's not for everybody. My wife's not really into it. Hold on a second. Hey, can you hear me? Dad. I need, I need you to talk just a little bit louder. Sometimes I hear people make fun of me behind my back, but I just turn the other cheek, you know? I mean, who's going to be laughing when the day of evil comes? Not the guy in the suit of armor. You know what I mean? I'm working on my moves. I stay sharp, you know? I've got my breastplate of righteousness. I've got my helmet of salvation. It doesn't get any more secure than when you're wearing the helmet of salvation. Shoot! I've got my feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, the belt of truth. I got the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I've got my shield of faith. I don't know why more people haven't done this yet, but they will. They'll learn. Armor of God might not be the best illustration for us, but Paul does give some really good things to think about, okay? So the first thing he says is the armor of God we have is the belt of truth, and then the breastplate, breastplate of righteousness, boots of readiness, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, and then the sword of the spirit, or like Paul says, the word of God. Clearly, God and Paul want us to be protected, you know, like the video showed us, from head to toe, in the video, it was you know, more physical with metal suit and terrible situations like not being able to answer your cell phone. Could you imagine the, the fear of being, of being left out when uh, 
your phone's ringing and you can't reach it because your armor is too much. Like, that, I couldn't deal with that. So clearly God wasn't talking about actual armor, right? Um, but Paul does have some really good points here. Things like truth, righteousness, being ever ready to share the gospel, faith, salvation, the word of God. These are things that Paul is speaking to when he's telling Timothy to be trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine. He wants him to hold to these six pieces of armor. Paul isn't saying this for Timothy. He's saying this also for all of us. This is all of us learn from the six things of righteousness or the six things of the armor is that we all need to learn like this. Specifically, Paul, at the very beginning of 1 Timothy, talks about all of this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to the, his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer and persecutor and uh, insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorant in unbelief, and the grace our Lord, Jesus, or our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are, that are in Christ Jesus, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him, for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is what we studied the first week of studying the trustworthy sayings. Paul just kind of just constantly keeps pointing back to this idea that the whole idea of our purpose is to go into the world to show that Christ came to die for sinners, of whom I am the worst. That's not a boasting thing. That's not to say that I am any better than anybody else out there, but that's to say that Christ saves. I want us to get, uh, I want us to understand and to see that we are called for training in godliness. This comes from God's truth that's found only in the Bible. So how important is it to read the Bible? We said at the beginning that that's not the only place we can be, right? We can't only just read the word of God. Because you'll never grow into godliness without reading the Bible. We have to read the Bible. We have to understand God's word. And the reading the Bible is that pumping of iron, that spiritual uh, understanding of growth, being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine. The intake of good doctrine is the means by which we are trained into godliness. We must avoid the false teachings or like Paul says, in a really interesting way, he says, myths. What does this word myths really mean? Like, we kind of understand false teaching. Like, if somebody's just blatantly saying that Jesus isn't the Lord, then we can kind of just, like, quickly just be like, all right, well, clearly, they're not teaching gospel. But what is this myths? It's kind of a little bit less severe, and it's a little bit different than false teachings. Here is what Paul is saying, his writing about when it comes to, like, myths. It's it's mixed in truths with kind of not truths is kind of the best way. It's not lies, but it's just not truths. And they're not true doctrine. There are things that are man-made that we often believe as if they are a part of truth. There's a lot of things in our everyday language, our everyday life, maybe the things that we put on Facebook, you know, whatever that you kind of say 
to sometimes maybe help people or to help yourself a little bit better, or uh, we hear it in music a lot, that are just kind of man-made beliefs that we kind of take as biblical teaching. Today we'll see things like the New Age or cults or, or secular humanism, various other religions, all mixed in to biblical Christian truths that we then kind of take as true sayings. So I'm going to say nine of what I kind of feel are some of the ones. You probably have other ones that you have heard or your friends have said or um, that you have said in your lifetime. But here's the first one. I know Jim has said it. I know I have heard it many a times uh, in songs. But God helps those who help themselves, right? So here's what we're going to do, a little fun interactive. If you've ever heard this phrase used, raise your hand. Okay. So if you ever have heard, God helps those who help themselves, raise your hand. All right? That's how this is going to go. There are all nine of them. This statement is actually completely against the gospel, okay? Because it's self-reliance. It's, it's this idea of self-righteousness. It's the attitude of if you try harder or you do better, then you'll actually be closer to God. And, and that's not at all what Scripture actually says. Matthew 16, 24 says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You must become second to Christ to actually follow Christ. All right, number two. If you've heard this, raise your hand. God wants me to be happy. Woo. I've heard it. I've sometimes said it. And it's not true. It's a common belief that God exists to be our personal genie. I like to think of God as this like proverbial gumball machine where you put in your, your quarter and you turn it and then whatever you, you prayed for comes out. And if it doesn't come out, then the gumball machine must be broken. But that's not, that's not the way God works, right? It's not this genie. It's not this like you ask, you receive this uh, spiritual... Uh, now I can't... Why can't I say Santa Claus? There's, I, the other word that I was going to say started the same, and it wasn't going to produce the same outcome. Uh, I was going to say Satan, and that's not at all what I meant to say. So this personal genie waiting to give us our every wish, it's amazing how we kind of justify our sinfulness by saying God just wants me to be happy. Happiness is tied to feelings and emotions that are often based on your specific circumstance. So often when we're striving to be happy, it's because of something around us that we're wanting to change or that we're wanting to gain. And those change all the time. God wants us to be obedient. God wants us to be obedient to him. He wants us to trust him and know that everything he does is for our good. Now, it might not be for our happiness, but it is for our good because it doesn't always make us feel happy when God is doing things for our good in our life. Romans 8:28 says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. The things that are happening to us might not be good, but God uses them for his good. That might not make us happy, but that does make God God. Number 3. We're all God's children. Have you guys ever heard that? that before? We're all God's children. Although God has created everyone, and that is true, God has created one, not everyone is relationally 
belonging to him. Only those who have repented of sin, placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and possess the Holy Spirit of God, living and active inside of them, can claim him as their father. We're all created in him, but only those that have given their life over to him are truly their ch- his child, being able to call him father. Romans eight fifteen, the last part of 15 and the, the 16 says this, but you have received the spirit of admiration, or sorry, spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. However, those who don't have Jesus, here's kind of a harsh thing. So um, understand this is fully based in scripture, and I'll say that scripture. But those that are not in Jesus are of not Jesus. Those that are not Jesus are for not Jesus. They're, they're for the prince of, of the darkness. They're for the evil one. If they have not given their life over to Christ, then, then Satan is somehow using them. Now, the Holy Spirit might be engaging with them. It might be pulling them in. It might be constantly trying to, to rein them in. But if, you know, if, if the end comes and they haven't given their life over to them, Ephesians 2, 1 through 2 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. 1 John three ten says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. All right, that was heavy. All right, number four. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Have you guys heard that one? Yep. I mean, you should be thankful for the person next to you that they are clean. Like that, obviously. But if we attribute it to godliness, then there's some misunderstanding of scripture in that. I understand as a parent, the pull to say cleanliness is next to godliness. Yesterday, we had our children clean their bedrooms. If that's any test of spiritual uh, understanding, having your child clean their bedroom, they started at 11. We didn't end until 4. And there's lots of moments of temptation to be able to just, you know, say these kind of cliche things that that maybe you've heard or maybe your parents used on you or whatever. Uh, Be like, hey, clean your room because, you know, God wants you to clean your room. Uh, don't judge me. Don't judge me. No, I'm kidding. Exodus twenty twelve is a much better scripture, or it's a true scripture to use, and a much better way to actually talk to your children or your grandchildren um, or your adult children, however it works. Uh, Exodus twenty twelve. Honor your father and mother. That's pretty easy. Clean your room. Why? Exodus twenty twelve. Go read it. And then, and then clean your room. You're welcome. Not only do you have to clean your room, you now also have to read your Bible. And you're now guilted. All right, number five. God won't give you more than you can handle. Have you guys heard that before? And I don't know if you guys have taken, personally, I've taken comfort in being told that before. Where somebody has told me, like, man, I, I tell them, like, I'm just so overwhelmed right now. I've got so much going on. There's so many bad things that are happening. And then they just say that phrase, like, hey, that, hey don't worry. 
Like God won't give you more than you can handle. And, and honestly, in those moments when it's somebody that like I respected and, and that I cared a lot about would tell me those things, man, it, it, it did bring me comfort. But then when I later found out that it wasn't necessarily true, it started to make more sense of what God actually wants us to, to do to handle the hard things of life. Life in all is more than we can handle. I mean, that's just the truth of it. Whether it's something simple, like losing your car keys, or it's something major, like you have found out that a loved one or you yourself, you know, has cancer. Life is just more than we can handle. That's just the truth of it. The point of living in a fallen world is not for us to try really, really hard to carry on these heavy burdens, but rather to give up and give them over to our Lord and Savior, to our Father. You know, Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 8 says it like this, For we do, not, uh, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. They were on mission for God, and they felt like that. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, one of my favorite scriptures. Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This life is more than we can handle. And when we use things like God won't give you more than you can handle, you're not presenting the true way for us to handle life. God wants us to rely hard on him in all things, whether it be big or small. God wants us to rely on him fully. Number six, we all worship the same God. Have you guys heard that before? That one's not being used as much as it used to be, but it definitely was something that was used a lot. When I was in high school, that was used a lot. We all worship the same God. Yes, there is only one true God. And in the end, we all will worship him. But that is not the case right now. I mean, whether that be, you know, Muhammad or Buddha or, or Joseph Smith, there are lots of false understandings of who we are worshiping and who that God is that we are worshiping. Acts 4.12 says this, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Number seven, bad things happen to good people. Have you guys heard that before? Bad things happen to good people. We often place ourselves in judgment seat of what is good and bad, or who is good and who is bad. The most popular way to make that judgment is by comparison. For example, Bob, Bob, I'm not saying specific Bob, I'm just using Bob as a name. Bob is a good guy because he is not as bad as Sam. That's not a biblical understanding of good. I'm better than this person that makes me a good person. And in doing so, by saying that they're bad and I'm good, I've become bad. Like, it's a, it's a really vicious cycle when you live in that way, where I compare to the person next to me. Plain and simple, humans are humans, and sometimes we mess up. And that is why there's forgiveness. 
Romans 3.10 says it like this. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. All right, number eight. When we die, or when you die, God gains another angel. Have you guys heard that before? Yeah. Plain and simple. Can't be done. Humans don't become angels. Angels don't become humans. This remains so even in, in eternity. In fact, angels are actually intrigued by us. And by God, they're actually viewed as lower than us. That's a really interesting thing to think about because we think all the time how cool angels are. And all the time, angels are thinking how cool we are. So I guess they're not much different than us, but... 1 Peter 1, verse 12 says this, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And then the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Here's the really cool thing about us as humans is we get to choose to worship God, right? You understand free will. We choose to love God. We choose to follow after God. We choose to do the things that God calls us to do. Angels are born into eternity knowing all of that already. We choose to have faith. We choose to to run hard after God. We choose to receive the love that God has given. And that's something that angels don't get to do. Number nine, we're all going to the same place when we die. Have you guys heard that before? Oh, yeah. And it's really quite evil. There are two possible destinations when we pass, and they're not the same place. You either go into paradise, or you're going into eternity without God. Or to use terms that we use all the time, you're either going to heaven, or you're going to hell. Or heaven, hell, I don't know. They're not really like that, you know, like heaven, I don't know. Different dimension, I guess. But it's not the same place. Only those who are in Christ will be with him for all eternity. John 14, 6 says this, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So those are nine short little statements that are technically myths that we have used, whether it be through a false understanding of another religion, a false understanding of Christianity, uh, something that somebody once told me and it brought me comfort, so then I continue using it. Those are all just kind of different myths. Like I said, they're not as severe as like just a false teacher, somebody that just clearly comes along and says, Jesus is not the Lord and Savior, but they are destructive, and they all don't help us in the, in the long run of things. Now, that being said, sometimes truth that is said in a way to hurt somebody is also not good. Like if you're using your truths, if you're using scriptural truths to attack somebody, that's also not a healthy way to go about it. At least in the myths, they're trying to be helpful. They're just using very poor understanding of scripture to do it. So here's, here's kind of how we're going to wrap this up. Truth training for godliness is hard work. There will be loads of things you'll feel all the time that, why am I, why am I feeling bad? Why, why am I having these bad things happen to me when I'm running so hard after what God wants me to do? You'll have these moments of just feeling just depressed and, and overwhelmed where you feel like you deserve something because you're running after what God is calling us to do. 
But there are really two aspects of this final part that Paul says in verse 10. There's the aspects of toiling, and then there are aspects of striving that the apostle writes about. First, his point is a personal toiling in order to grow in personal godliness, which leads to the spiritual growth and even salvation. Next is the striving is for others. Specifically, he and Timothy were to be working hard to evangelize and preach and teach so that Jesus Christ and the truth of God's word would be captured by others. Because the truth is of eternal value. Paul and Timothy are laborers in the truth because it is biblical truth alone that leads one to salvation. So this last little part that he says in verse 10 can be a little confusing after some of our myths. And that's kind of where some of these myths even come from. It's just a a misunderstanding of scripture where he says, um, because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So if we had a misunderstanding of what all people meant or what savior meant, then that's kind of where we get some of these myths from. And what this last little part that Paul is talking about is that God is, Jesus is the Savior to all, but not all see him as their Savior. You know, Jesus dying on the cross was for everyone, but not everyone takes advantage of the cross. Not everyone sees the cross as their salvation. He is Savior, and everyone will, either in this life or at judgment, acknowledge that fact. So how, how do we train ourselves to be godly, as Paul suggests? Well, it's really it's two simple things. It's really what we started with at the beginning. It's with reading scripture, and it's with self-discipline. And like I said at the beginning, it's not solely by just reading scripture, and it's also not solely by having self-discipline. If you're just doing things to do things correctly, then that's not following what God is calling us to do. And if we're only reading scripture without applying anything, then that's also not what God is calling us to do. Training is both sides. Learning while reading or by listening or by seeing, and then by putting it to action. Just like anything in your life, you get a new job, you have to go through training, and, but that's not where it ends. You know, you go for a week of training, they don't just send you home and say, we'll continue paying you. You don't have to come in, though. That's not how it works, right? You practice for sports for weeks on end before the first game. You practice, you practice, you practice. You learn, you learn, you learn. You learn the plays, whatever the different things are. And then when the game comes, they don't just say, you know what, just stay home. We, nobody show up. We're not going to put to action what we just trained on. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. We need to learn. We need to prepare. We need to, to understand Scripture. But we can't just leave it there. We must apply what we're learning. And that is what Paul calls a trustworthy saying. Let's pray. Father God, I ask as we continue seeing these trustworthy sayings and we continue seeing what Paul is calling us to do, that we don't just leave them there, but instead, like Paul calls us to, we put them to action. That we put, put our faith and our 
belief in you into, into works. Not because that's where our salvation comes from, but instead because that's what you call us to do. I pray that we live an obedient life, that we strive to look more like you, and that we strive to bring others alongside of us while we do that. Father, we love you, and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Every one of those guys with photographic memory in a class under Seth Wilson with me. And he could look at a page and, and then read it from his memory and not have to have the page. Brother Wilson had warned us ahead of time that we was going to have a test. He'd get the top grade in the class and I get the lowest. <laughs> but when he popped those quiz without warning us, usually I was at the top and he was the lowest. <clears throat> In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Back when... Ozark Christian College was Ozark Bible College and the entire campus consisted of two buildings on the corner of one city block at 516 North Wall. I was in a class, hermeneutics class, to, to learn to read and understand the Bible. Seth Wilson read a poem that I really wish I had a copy of. One that several of us remembered hearing back when we were in grade school <clears throat> I can't rem- remember who wrote it or how it was worded but there were six wise men of Hindustan who went to see an elephant though each of them was blind. One did grope the tail of the 
elephant, and he was just sure that the elephant was like a rope. One hugged a leg, and the elephant is like a tree. One fell against the side of the elephant. And declared that this wonder of an elephant is very like a wall. One grabbed an ear, and the elephant's like a fan. One got a hold of the end of the task, and the elephant is like a spear. And the other one got a hold of the trunk and the elephant's like a snake. That poem had one more verse that hadn't registered to us when we were in grade school. And some of the students thought that it wasn't even there that it was added. One of them even asked me if I had written and added the, the, the other poem, other, other verse. But it was really the whole point of the story. People's view of God so often is based on a fragment. And if you got your nose against the side of the elephant, all you're going to see is that wall keeping you from doing what you want to do. So many times we miss the whole picture. We get too close to something, one thing we see, and we're so sure that the one that missed that ought to be seeing it like we do. Now, we need to step back and see all the pieces and put them together. And for their view of that elephant, they argued loud and long, each so sure that he was right, but all of them were wrong. What is our view of God? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we can see the Word of God was given in creation, and there's a picture there, but the picture we're about to celebrate right now is the one that that Word, when he, who was flesh, came and gave himself for us to take the blame for our sin.
How well do we know him? Do we really care enough about him to want to study the word, to try to see all the parts of that picture and put them together to see the whole picture? You can't get it all from the preacher. And you're, we need, we really need the study together in the small groups and in the Bible school class. And we need to study the Word on our own. How well do we want, really want to know the one we're about to celebrate? This is only a small picture, but it's a reminder of what he did for us. The cup and the loaf, the bread is that body that was torn and bruised because of our transgressions. And that cup pictures the blood that he gave to wash away our sin. Let us pray. Oh, Father, 